Welcome to the Living Word. I'm Sarah Ajala Emmanuel, an evangelist of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's start with a word of prayer. Eternal God and Father, blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for the gift of another day. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word and share your word and learn from you again. We thank you for the gift of your word, your living word, in which we find the truth that leads to life and freedom and peace and joy. It is a gift from you, O Lord. We pray, O Lord, that you prepare our hearts as good soil to receive your word and help us to germinate it in our hearts, to process it, to receive it with thanksgiving and humility, that the word may yield multiple food in our lives, that our lives may be to the glory of your praise, that we may be the righteous and holy children that you desire. Lord Jesus, in your name we ask. Amen. So in continuing the series of teachings concerning who is on the Lord's side, that is the question through this entire series, who is on the Lord's side? A question I'm asking in relation to what we see today to be Christianity, that in a lot of, in more cases, are it's nothing but superficial. False teachings, false doctrines, false teachers everywhere. Now, uh, false teaching emanates from a wrong concept of God. That's a conclusion by A.W. Toza, a, a servant of God who is now going to be with the Lord uh, for quite a while now. <laughs> but I, I love to listen to him and I love to read his books. He was one of the few faithful servants that have passed through the world. And he said, any false teaching emanates from a wrong concept of God. And this is so true. It's so true because when you consider false teachers and what the, the heresies and the outright lies and deception that they propagate, you know they have not known God. And it doesn't matter when they, you know, what they say about God, about telling you how God pleaded with them to serve him, how God told them this and God told them that. God is always telling them all sorts of things. They keep telling us ridiculous stories about their encounters with God and with Jesus Christ. These are always false. You know, their trips to heaven, the angelic visitations they've received when they had the loud voice of God calling to them. They are full of all sorts of ridiculous imaginations anything to deceive the people and it is very tragic that the gullible believe them and follow them they begin to follow them rather than follow christ so obviously both leader and follower are blind as our lord himself said the blind leading the blind the pharisees who believed so much in the laws of god at the time the laws of moses and and, and such and, and and traditional rituals and and religious rituals but all that they practiced as devoted as they were to the cause, did nothing to bring them to the place where God wanted them. They could not be righteous enough for God. Because um, the word of God tells us that the very best of our righteousness is as fill the rags before God. The only righteousness that is acceptable to God is that which is imputed to the believers through Jesus Christ our Lord himself. So to be a faithful Christian, before you can claim to be a Christian, you need to have the right perspective of God, the right concept of God. Anything less than that is blasphemy. And this is what false teachers and false believers do. 
they blaspheme against God, though proclaiming Jesus is Lord. As a matter of fact, the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, when you are walking in error and walking on the false doctrine and walking in carnality, is blasphemous. That's blasphemy in itself. Taking the name of God in vain is not just about mentioning God in every conversation, as people tend to. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's a swear word. You know, God is a swear word. Jesus Christ is a swear word. People give testimonies. They know they're lying and they swear by God's name. They know they're lying and they swear by God's holy throne. The Bible says you are not to swear. Jesus, our, our Lord, said you are not to swear by anything in heaven or on earth. He said heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. You cannot swear by anything. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But people, when they have got the wrong concept of God, when they do not know God, people apart from God, though professing to be believers or Christians, they, they will do these things because they have not known God. I find it uh, really hard to say to mention God unless in teaching and preaching or, or when when I'm praying. And I just I just cannot bring him up willy nilly in, in in any kind of talks. And it bothers me. It really irks me when I hear people say Jesus Christ as a proclamation of disgust or shock or alarm or anything like that. And I mean, that's gotten to the point where my colleagues at work know it. I work in the middle of unbelievers. It's very hard. <laughs> it is very, very hard. They try, your, they, they try your Christianity to the limit. But now they've come to know that anytime they're talking and having their foolish carnal talk, I don't get involved in those things. But uh, every now and then they shriek, Jesus Christ. I mean, sometimes it's even so bad. There's a swear word in between Jesus and the Christ. But you know what? They looked at they look at me quickly and say, Sorry about that, Sarah. They say it, you know, in some kind of remorse. They they know the fact that they acknowledge that to me that is not just a name. It's not just it's definitely not a swear word. It is a good thing. I mean, what is your testimony? How do you react when people say this? Because what I've found is um I am always very critical of false teachers. And I have no qualms about naming them when I find them, when I see them, when I know them, when I have, when I've listened to them and watched their, their their evil machinations, and I listen to their foolish messages. It bothers it bothers me not to name them, absolutely not, you know. And um, on social media or even in conversations, yeah, people say, "No, no, you can't talk about them like that." People will fight tooth and nail to defend their pastor or their G.O., or their father or mother in the Lord. It would be nice to see people fighting for the name of Christ like that, or the name of God, but they don't. The same people won't, but they will do anything for their pastor. They get insulted, they get rude, they get some, you know, it's unbelievable. They get abusive, some would even, you know, even purport to curse you, you know, telling you you're, you are hell-bound and things. I don't know what they know about hell because they're sitting right on the front row seat of hell themselves through their idolatry, and they don't seem to realize that. But you say something about a false teacher that they follow, and they go up in arms and tell you you're hell-bound, and they will start naming curses. Oh, God has said, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. Keep quiet about that stupid argument. That was not a universal command for every person or creature that picks up a Bible and blots out anything they fancy from their imagination 
having automatic protection by God. No, I will say nothing about God's servants, God's holy servants. But you know what? It's not even possible to say anything evil about them because they are, they, they, by their fruit you know them. There's no evil you can say about them. I could not think of a fault in Martin Lloyd-Jones's, the late Martin Lloyd-Jones's um, ministry. I cannot find a fault in the late Adrian Rogers's ministry. I cannot find anything wrong with, with Harry Irons, late Harry Ironside's ministry. I cannot find anything to condemn about a, the late A.W. Tozer's ministry. There are many people like that. And you know what? There's still some living today. I cannot find anything wrong to say about John MacArthur. He preaches today. I cannot find any fault with the teachings of Chuck Swindoll. I cannot find anything wrong with the teachings and preachings of, of Conrad Mbewe of Africa. So what are we talking about here? If I find something wrong, when I see and hear false teachers, I will speak about them. I will. Because it is by doing so that I can save some who walk in their error. Otherwise, I'm watching people. Souls are perishing. People are dying and going to hell. It is not possible for you to, find, to, to, to get to know God, to walk with God under false doctrines. It's not possible for anyone to walk faithfully with God under false teachings. It isn't. So, of course, we have to mention these things. We're told to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That's the episode of Jude. He was so concerned about the arrival and the work of false teachers who have crept into the church. Do you know, every epistle in the Bible is meant, were written to believers. We're written to the church. All the warnings we have there, all the counsel we have there, all the doctrines, the teachings, the guidance, all for believers. Nothing, there's nothing in there whatsoever for, for unbelievers. The only thing for unbelievers is that we go out and preach to them the message of the gospel of Christ Jesus. His incarnation, his death, his crucifixion, going to the cross and his resurrection. That is all we have for unbelievers. And then when they believe and they begin to uh, and they receive Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives, they submit to his Lordship, then all the epistles begin to address them to help them grow and mature in Christ. That's the purpose of it. So we are the ones being spoken to. Now, as we approach um, another season of Easter, well, we are in the season of Easter. We it was Palm Sunday last week and it's Easter Sunday this week and it's Good Friday in two days time. We observe those things. But, um, well, I, I acknowledge the, the season for the purpose for which the, uh, the season was established by us, you know, by the church. That people acknowledge, you know, remember, bring to remembrance the incarnation of Christ. That's uh, Christmas and um, his arrest and crucifixion and death that's uh, Good Friday and his resurrection it's a Sunday and we acknowledge those things it's, it's good And but you know what though I mean I don't do anything expressly special in those seasons because um, for me and I want to believe this is true for every faithful believer we celebrate we thank God daily for the incarnation of Jesus Christ the incarnation being coming down to dwell amongst us as a man 
He was fully man and fully God. We thank God daily for Jesus coming into the world. We thank God daily for Jesus taking our sins upon himself being a, uh, and being abused and crucified and died for my sins, for the sins of the saints. We acknowledge that daily. We thank God daily for the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that is where our hope lies. That is our hope of salvation. Jesus has made us those promises that I am going to prepare a way for you, a place for you in my father's house, and that where I am, there you also may be. And we know the saints who were there already. So, and and we know that when we leave this world, we also will be there. We we believe in the coming kingdom of Je- of the Lord Jesus Christ at his at his second coming. We believe in the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. That when God will make all things new, we believe that God will take this particular it will totally cleanse this earth the world as we know it we know the earth as we know it will no longer exist god is going to replace it we believe all that so daily it is a daily life of thanksgiving i don't get all holy and sanctimonious over a few days of easter in the same way i don't practice lent i don't see the relevance of it i don't see the relevance of the 40 days of fasting that's when they say to people oh this is a series uh, a season where you have to humble yourself and be holy and do things right and even here in the western world where where i live it's even become a bit of a joke from this um dead churches i call them you know those traditional churches so spiritually dead so out so out of context with with, with the scriptures the christianity is well out of order and totally not to be not to be regarded, to be honest with you, but the world regards them. You know, I'm talking of the you know institution establishments like the the Church of England and the the, the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, for goodness' sake, we had the Archbishop of um, Canterbury last week, unbusy as he is, and it was this was on the news. That was newsworthy. Unbusy as he is, he has, obviously he's not spiritually busy because the Lord has no mandate for him because that is a church that is not that does not belong to Christ with all their gay ministers and gay bishops and everything foolish they're doing there. They're a political church. They are regulated and 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 and, and um, supervised by politicians. That's not a church of Christ. Anyway, so there he was um, kicking up a fuss that Cadbury, the chocolate manufacturing company, Cadbury's had um, dropped the word Easter from their egg hunt. He said it's always been Easter egg hunt because the chocolates have a relevance to to, to the Easter season. I beg your pardon? Where did all that foolishness come from? Easter eggs, what's that got to do with anything with with the cross of Christ? How many bars of chocolates were handed out at at, um, Calvary? And since when did the apostles who were witnesses to the majesty of the Lord in, on earth, who were his servants trained to carry on the message of the gospel, trained to bring, who, who were used to write the words of God that bring us now to the knowledge of the truth. How many chocolate bars did they hand out? Well, what's Easter? They didn't even celebrate Easter as we do, uh, or, or Christmas. We, we have no record of that in the Bible. But like I said, any true believer celebrates, rejoices in the coming incarnation of Christ, the death of Christ, going to the cross, resurrection, on a daily basis. That is the reason we are who we are. That is the reason we are Christians. That is why we have hope. That is why we have joy and peace. That is why we are reconciled. We are children of God. That is why we are the royal priesthood, a people 
special, peculiar unto God. That is why we have been separated as the church, a separated people. That is why we have been sanctified. That is why we have been justified. And that is why we will be glorified. But this very unbusy man, <laughs> Bishop of Canterbury, was having a fight with Cadbury's chocolate company because they dropped Easter out of their egg hunt. And of course, our Prime Minister, now she was a bit of a disappointment. I don't know whether she's Christian or not. That's, that's neither here nor there. But I would have thought she's got a very heavy mandate of governing the, the country. She also waded into the argument, saying how significant, you know, the Easter, Easter eggs and is to, to Christianity. What's all that nonsense about? Well, like I said, I, I wasn't really too surprised. I was just dis- disgusted. I wasn't particularly surprised because the Archbishop of Canterbury, like I said, is not spiritually busy because God has no assignment for him while he works, while he's in the darkness and sinfulness of the establishment, their organized religion, which is far from what Christianity is. But you know what? The tragic part of it is these are the people who represent Christianity before the eyes of the world. Obviously not before the eyes of God or Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church himself, but before the world, because the world, you know, walks in ignorance. The world doesn't know any better. The world does not recognize the true church of Christ. In fact, there are many purporting or professing believers, rather, who do not, who do not recognize the true church. Have no idea what Christianity is all about. Though they claim they are Christians. They are in church all the time. They do everything. They pay their tithes and their offerings and all. But you know what? They are in there for selfish reasons. They are in there for selfish reasons. For what they can get out of God. Because that is what false teachers are telling them it's all about. What you can get. What God can do for you. What God will do for you. Name it. Claim it. You know. It's your right as a Christian to be rich and wealthy and healthy. It's your right to be financially prosperous and everything so many biblical verses gems the word of god are the word of god according to the the psalmist in psalm 19 sweeter than honey from the comb the word of god is treasure to us it's it's just amazing nuggets worthier more precious than gold than much pure gold they're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And by them are God's servants warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. In keeping the word of God, there is great reward. But we have charlatans now all over the place, apostates, those who claim to have known Christ, who claim to, to have been saved, those who claim to have been redeemed, who, claiming all, in spite of claiming all their claims, walk apart from the word of God. They have left the way of truth for profiteering purposes. Those who make a meal out of their followers. Those who gather followers after themselves. You know, there's nothing new about all these things that they're doing. The Bible warns us severally about these evils. But people would rather bury their head in the sand and pretend they're not seeing. One, because these people, these rogue teachers and preachers, have a way of, of putting fear in their followers you know, by using all sorts of things and biblical verses, you know, the most popular one being that one I quoted from Chronicles, um, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. They are neither anointed nor prophets, so forget it. They are neither anointed nor prophets. <laughs> just because they carry a Bible, just because they've got lots of followers, of course they'll have lots of followers. Their teachings are carnal. Their teachings are carnal, appealing to the flesh. 
they will have lots of followers. Of course they will have lots of followers. They're saying people, things that people want to hear. Did the Bible not tell us? We went through this before uh, in, when we studied Second Tim, uh, Timothy. We read it in Second Timothy chapter, chapter 4. Where Timothy said from verse 3, they said, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And that is exactly where we find ourselves today. That's where we are. Where people, you know, they will all gather around a false teacher. Because it's promising them wealth and good health and miracles. People are desperate. Nobody who walks with Jesus Christ is desperate. There is no true believer, no faithful believer who is desperate for anything. We're not even desperate in terms of illness or sickness. Why? Because we have believed the word of God that tells us that when we leave this world, we have to leave this world. But when we leave this world, we get hold <clears throat> of being in the presence of God. We get hold. We lay hold on, on, on that eternal promise of eternal life. We don't die. We fall asleep from the world. We are taken out of this world. And we should rejoice because we're going to a place where there is no sin, no evil, no sickness, no tears, nothing evil. Nothing that causes us pain. No pain at all. We should look forward to it. But we have professing Christians today who are scared to, they are so scared of death. They don't even, a lot of them don't even like the word. They don't even like the word. So, they would rather believe the words of men than the word of God which guides them, which gives freedom. So they live in fear, in fear of the unknown. How can anyone who is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ have a fear of the unknown? Jesus Christ made known to us when he was amongst us everything that we need to know about this life and the life to come. About this world and the world to come. What is there to be afraid of? There is nothing unknown my peace and my daily joy come from the fact that I know God has revealed to me the, the end from the beginning. Not through a vision, by the way, and not through a personal visitation. It's through his word, the written word. You have access to it too. Study. Study diligently. Spend more time studying your Bible, learning from God, than following your pastors around celebrating their birthdays and their wedding anniversaries and kneeling before them and going to crusades and going to events and going to Holy Ghost fire nights and all that nonsense, power packed night, power must change our hands festival and uh, all sorts of rubbish. The your time has come events and um, your destiny must change hands or power must change hands conferences. There are a lot of rubbish absolute rubbish for one thing they do nothing to bring you salvation they do nothing to draw you closer to God because you know what God knows the fair weather friends he's not fooled God is not mocked God is not mocked he knows you look Jesus Christ our Lord when um, whilst he was here in his teaching ministry <laughs> he had um he had had occasions where he'd fed the people, you know, miraculously fed them bread and fish. And, you know, the, he was performing all kinds of miracles and healings. 
during his ministry here because he was God in person. So it had to make a difference from all the prophets and all the false prophets and all sorts of people they'd been seeing before. There were magicians and all sorts of people working demonic powers before Jesus came. That's always been the case. But they were not of God. And this is why I cannot understand for the life of me why people believe that anyone who who purports to perform a miracle or some kind of healing they're usually superficial most of them are deception but even where they do do these things what, what makes you think that they are people of God what what makes you think that's come from God Satan has got the powers to do all sorts of things read the book of Revelations he even has the power to to raise people from the dead if he wants to he has the power to afflict people with sickness and diseases if he wants to he can he can do these things but you know what? When you are in Christ Jesus, when you are one of God's own children, who walks, who walks in obedience to God, who lives for God, there is a limit to how far the devil can go with you. He and his little messengers, the demonic spirits, there's a limit. And he cannot even afflict you without God's permission. And when he does get the permission, the consent from God to afflict you for a time, it's never a permanent thing, for a time, God himself gives you the power to stand up under the affliction. That you do not run around, you know, from pillar to post trying to find a prophet or man or woman of God that can deliver you by the miracle, uh, so-called miraculous powers. You're not restless. Your affliction actually draws you closer to God. You, you as a person. Not to you through a medium or through a, a father in the Lord or a mother in the Lord. Christianity is a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. The Bible says there is only one intermediary between, or only one intercessor between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So where you're going, do you know, Africans are, are funny people, very, very funny people. They were not only, their idolatry has no limits because they go to the extent of praying through the, the their pastor it, by saying foolish things like oh the god of tb joshua what are you talking about this so-called so-called tb joshua as far as i'm concerned is nothing but a sorcerer anyway but people claim they're christian they're going to kneel before him to put his filthy hands on them to pray for them and and then they pray even in their, the privacy of their own homes they're praying to the god of tb joshua and don't try and tell me that, yes, there's a place where the Bible says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, there is. But we have testimony of how they were with God written down. Do you have any such testimony about T.B. Joshua or about any other professing man or woman of God like that? Do you? And we don't read of any of the believers in the New Testament praying to the God of Peter or the God of, or, or, or the Apostle Paul or, or, or the God of Titus or the God of James or the God of John. We all have direct access to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when I say through Jesus Christ, it's not the way that people use in the name of Jesus at the end of every foolish proclamation that they call prayer. Because we get a lot of that. I, I, <laughs> I, I see a lot of that nonsense on social media. You know, people are reading curses and godless, useless, foolish talk that they call prayer. And they, go, and they, and they add in the name of Jesus to it, you know, expecting that, uh, that, uh, that will then make it acceptable to, uh, acceptable to God. 
in the name of Jesus, adding that to prayer is not uh, an automatic ascent from God. In the name of Jesus. Do you know what it means? It means you're walking in accordance with the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means you are in him. He's not just your savior. He's Lord of your life. You walk according to his commands, according to his teachings. You are his disciple. You are his slave, slave to righteousness. That's what it means. So when you then come to pray before God, because of our own, we have no merits. We have no merits of our own of our own to come before God. Nothing. What can I claim? What can I claim is my right to any blessing or any attention from God whatsoever? Nothing. It's all by grace. And so, this is how it is. Jesus said, John 15 from verse uh, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the, into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There is nothing in that counsel or command that gives room for foolish asking materialistic asking no if you remain in me and i remain and i remain in you he said we have to remain in christ remaining in christ means submitting to his lordship he owns you he bought you at the cost of his blood he alone is your lord not your pastor not your daddy geo not your mommy geo not your mommy pastor reverend doctor whatever titles they are called themselves they can do nothing for you nothing absolutely zilch you have to remain in christ they cannot remain in christ for you they're not even in christ as imposters you have to remain in christ yourself when you abide in him his words abide in you that is when you will ask anything you wish and it will be given you and you know what true faithful believers who abide in Christ they go before God with sincere wishes not foolish things they don't go before before God demanding a bigger house demanding a mansion in Dubai and uh, they, they don't go before God asking for, for, for material things I, I need a bigger car my neighbors are unbelievers they have their own Mercedes you need to show them that I belong to God by granting me a Rolls Royce. They don't go before God with such foolishness. They don't go before God asking silliness. When you hear a true believer pray, you'll be amazed. And their prayers are answered. Because they go before God not with the attitude of, what have you got for me? They go before God in prayer about, Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me be for you? Make me according to your will. They ask God for things that don't perish. They ask God for things that count to eternity. Show me your truth, O God. Give me deeper understanding of your will, O God. Keep me in the path of righteousness and truth, O God. Keep me by your side, O Lord. Keep me from the world, O God. Strengthen me against temptation, O Lord. 
keep me standing in my trials, O God. They don't say, take the trials away. Oh, I rebuke it, I reject it, I curse Satan, I bind demonic spirits, changing my destiny. They don't believe in all that nonsense. They know that what God has destined for them, no power, principality in any territory or dominion can change. So they pray to God because they know that they are fallible. We know. We know we're fallible creatures. We know we can sleep up. We know we can make mistakes. We know we can fall in sin. We know we can fall in error. So what, we, what do we do? When we approach God, we are asking for the power to keep standing in our trial. We are asking God to show us the purpose of our trial so that we can learn and grow and mature more in him. We are asking God for the ability, to the strength to obey him, to keep from temptation, to honor him more. We are asking God to help us be the light that he says we are of the world. We are asking him to help us be the salt that he says we are of the world. We are asking him to use us for his glory. We are asking him to make the peoples of the world, when they see the life of Christ in us, we are asking God to make us more like Christ daily in word, thought and deed. Not foolish things. And my destiny changes. Oh, I, I had a list of them actually. Um, this I was reading one just today on, on social media by some so-called evangelist. It's such an embarrassment to the faith, if you ask me. And he was saying prayers like, "Oh yeah, everything about which it's all about witchcraft. Every 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 arrow of witchcraft in my life be consumed in Jesus' name. Every curse of witchcraft over my destiny be returned to the sender." And just, What's all that nonsense? And they add in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Do you know every time you use the name of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you are blaspheming. You are blaspheming. Every time you project the Lord or God the Father in a personality that they are not, you are blaspheming. So there's so much sinfulness going on. And all this nonsense has been led by some people who claim to be ministers of God they call themselves prophets, they call themselves apostles, they're pastors, they're reverend doctors, they're Bible teachers, they're uh, theology lecturers even. Oh yes, they're teaching a whole lot of nonsense. God wants you healthy and wealthy. God wants you financially prosperous. So sow this seed and expect that miracle and things. What are you after miracles for? What do you need miracles for? Look, miracles were common when um, Jesus was here. Why? Because he was God. He was God. He was full of mercy and love. He came for that very purpose because he was merciful and loving. And so having God amongst us in their presence, there had to be the difference. He had to prove that he had power over sin, over death, over diseases, over demonic spirits. He had to prove it to the people. He had to make them see. And of course... Above all, it was about compassion. It was about his compassion for the people of a fallen world, a fallen people in a fallen world. He had come to redeem his own. And so he performed healings, he performed miracles, yes, because he could. And he conferred that power and authority onto his disciples also to, to, to perform healings and, and to expel demonic spirits. They gave them authority over demonic spirits. Do you know that? They didn't they did not do the supernatural miracles that Jesus did, like turning water into wine and you know, feeding a multitude out of nothing next to nothing. 
Now, such, th- such things, he, did, he didn't give them the authority, but he gave them that. You know, they even raised the dead. But that was just resuscitation, not resurrection, by the way, because the people died subsequently. But then it was necessary for the apostles at the time also to have that authority. God knew that. Why? Because they were bringing, they were charged with the responsibility of bringing the gospel of God to the, of, of God in Christ Jesus to the entire world. They were introducing the way to God and the way of God to the world that did not know God. The Jewish people, amongst whom God raised the servants, and Jesus Christ our Lord also came through the Jews, they were supposed to have known God. They knew God. They were God's special people, no doubt about it. God created that nation for himself. But even they had wondered, they were never meant to be, they were never meant to bring us salvation in that way. Because they themselves could not be saved by their works. They could not be saved by the law that they had, the laws of Mo- the, the law of Moses, the laws that God gave through Moses, was not sufficient to 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 bring them to salvation. So they had the charge, the apostles had the the duty, and it was a very very daunting one, I can tell you. Twelve men only, against the entire world, the entire world that hates God, and everything pertaining to God. So of course they were conf- was confided on them the power. To perform miracles because they were needed at the time. Miracles were needed to, to prove the authenticity of these men that they were from God. They did things that only God could have done. As I said before, there were magicians and all sorts of people in the world before. Yes, there were. Doing all sorts of things. But their power was so amazing. Power that transformed lives. Do you know the greatest miracle ever? that we have received and men still receive is the miracle of the new birth when we become Christians faithful Christians that is not just any person claiming to be a Christian faithful Christians know themselves your life changes until your life changes until you repent and you despise the life you once lived until your life changes and, 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 and you disregard the life you once lived you're ashamed of it before God you hate it the way you used to live before you came to know Christ. Until you get to that point, you're, you're, you're not a Christian. You're still living in your sins. You're still carnal. And you cannot know the benefits of, be, of belonging to God and to Christ. So they needed the miracles. And you know what? The miracles they performed were instantaneous to show the power of God. Not the nonsense that is we see today of progressive healing they tell it's a miracle there's nothing miraculous about a progressive healing the healings that we see in the new testament either by jesus christ or his appointed servants were instantaneous and they were done calmly we don't read anything about ranting and raving jumping up and down apostles to heal or cast out demons they did it with a touch or a word oh yes a touch or a word I've watched a lot of clowns claiming to be uh, purporting to, to, to dis- dispel or dismiss um, demonic spirits. I, I, I've watched a lot of them. They're all over the so-called Christian TV we see nowadays. Jumping up and down, 
sweating profusely, shouting as they're casting and binding. They're there for hours on end, up and down, telling people you you know they're delivering them from sickness, they're healing them, and they have to come for twenty-one deliverance sessions. They have to come for seven deliverance sessions. I mean, all that is enough. The fact that they go through all these processes is enough to let you know. To, to well, it's enough for the discerning mind to know that whatever they're doing is not of God. If you have got this, the, the, the gift of healing, it will be instantaneous as we read it in the Bible. That's how we see the gifts in the Holy Bible. Instantaneous. You will look at a person in a sick bed and you see arise and walk in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and will, they, will, they will do so immediately. That's the end of that particular sickness. But we don't see that now, do we? No, we don't. We, we see a lot of nonsense. They tell them they've healed them. And, and, and why is it that while these healings and casting out of demons happens today, it's always... Uh, as a prearranged and organized event by the so-called person of God. Could be a man or, or, or woman, that's why I say person. Why is it always in a controlled environment? Why is it always in a place where they've got their cameras there, there to, to record them in action? And they've got a crowd gathered. It's an event. Now, the idea that you actually can promise somebody a miracle shows you a liar. It shows you a liar. The fact that you can print posters and make TV advertisements and radio advertisements saying that you're going to be performing miracles from the 21st to the 28th of April in a power-packed event. They have those fancy words they use. Power-packed event that's going to change your life. The fact that you're doing that shows you a liar. Why? Because miracles are of God. And he alone, God does not take orders from us. He alone decides when, how, and where. God can perform miracles any time he chooses. I'm not saying he cannot. Definitely not. He is God. He can do all things. Now he can. However, it is not by my determination. And it will not be according to my request or order. It will be random and spontaneous. Never have I seen one of these people of this age who claim to have miraculous powers. I have never seen one of them. Never ever heard of or witnessed any one of them at random casting out a demon in the streets while they were just walking along minding their own business you know they see someone possessed by demons to be honest i mean the matter of de- demon possession is a story of another is a matter of another day i can't go into that now but we don't demons don't actually have the free hand to possess people as they did before jesus came ever since our lord ascended to heaven he took captivity captive they are no longer they don't possess people as easily and freely as they used to in the past well, like I said, that's not a teaching I can go into now because I'll be digressing a lot. But anyway, we don't see these people doing this random, instantaneous, miraculous things. We don't see them driving along, seeing some little child or an elderly person, or any person, wheel-bound, I mean, yeah, wheelchair-bound, rather, you know, struggling to wheel their wheelchair along on the road, We don't see them just stopping their lovely, fancy cars and step down and say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, get rid of your wheelchair. We don't see that happening. No, but they will bring you to an arena, an event that they've organized, and then they command the people to walk, and they lift up their wheelchair and start jumping for joy and saying, look what I've done. What rubbish. What rubbish. How many times have they been exposed? Benny Hinn is one of the most popular ones for this. As a matter of fact, a lot of them copy him. 
the, the, the likes of Kriso Yakilome of Nigeria, you know, they, they, they're copycats of, of Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn is <laughs> one of the leaders in such false things. How many times has he been sued for telling people to stop using their cancer medication because it's healed them and they've died? What are we talking about here? So that power is just not there. And as far as I'm concerned, it's because it's not needed. People keep running around. There's false teachers and false pastors tell you you've got a personal miracle on the way before God. Keep coming. Your miracle is on the way. Claim your miracle. What are you talking about? What do you need a miracle for? The Bible says, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. We don't shrink back. We live by faith, not by sight. We don't say to God, do the work of your hands. Let me see what you've got to offer. We walk with God in sobriety, with thanksgiving, with full confidence, knowing that whatever is due to me is in the hands of my God. And God is sovereign. He's sovereign over the affairs of heavens, of the heavens and the earth. He knows where I am. He knows what I'm going through. He will do for me what he wants at the right time. And even when I'm going through sufferings, I know God is aware of it. He has not got his eyes short. His ears are not too dull to deliver. His arms are not too short to save. I know that he knows. Nothing is impossible for him. I know he knows what I'm going through. I have full confidence in him. So I walk with him in thanksgiving and full trust. Knowing and understanding that there is a reason why he's letting me go through what I'm going through. However painful the situation may be. There is a reason. There is a purpose for it. And I pray to God to help me to identify the purpose. And help me to learn from the experience. And to grow from the experience, through the experience. I don't run around trying to find myself a prophet who will deliver me. Why run to a man who will deliver you? It's an accursed thing to do that. It's made very clear to us in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 17. Cursed is the man who is the one who looks to man for his strength. Cursed. Why would you walk under the curse when you can under the curse of God when you can walk under his blessings? Cursed is the one who trusts in man who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Your heart turns away from the Lord because if you think any man regardless of their title or the size of their church or ministry or, or, or number of their followers, if you think any man can do for you what God has not done, you're a fool. A fool is one, biblically, is a person who does not take into cognizance and respect to the word of God. One who does not think of the end result from the beginning of their folly. That's what the Bible calls a fool. Bible says such a person will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a sort land where no one lives. He'll be alone because these men and women cannot do anything for you. And in your hour of utmost trial, they will abandon you. They will abandon you. They're not interested in your well-being. They have no care for your soul. Nothing. They don't care. They will lead you astray and abandon you. Their purpose is to alienate you from God. That is the sole purpose of Satan. Doesn't matter whether you have food on your table or not. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter whether you're in good health or in poor health. Doesn't matter whether you're married or single, with children or without children, educated or not. Satan's purpose for every human being is the same. To alienate you from God. And this is what the Bible says, which I just read in Jeremiah 17 from verse 5. 
This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. The minute you start turning to a man, a fellow human being, for any kind of deliverance, God says you are cursed. Only God delivers. However, on the other hand, because no God is so merciful. However, on the other hand, from verse 7, he says, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its root by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to be a fruit. In other words, because your heart is steadfast trusting in the Lord, he will make all things abound to you. I'm not saying you're going to own a Mercedes and own big houses and own, have overflowing bank accounts. No. All peace. Peace and joy. Lack of fear, confidence, trust in God. You have confidence. You will be able to say, which with Horatius Pafford, in his darkest hour of life, having lost all his family, lost all his money, lost everything, he was able to say, It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet the trials to come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ. Let this blessed assurance control my feelings, control my emotions, he was saying. Control my heart, control my life. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is all about your soul. It's not about your bank account. It's not about your physical health. It's not about your marital status. It's not about your career. It is all about your soul. The life of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his death and resurrection is all about your soul. And when you understand that, we're going to study that in the next, um, in, in, in the next um, lesson. It will be, we'll be stu- studying Christ, about his incarnation, about his resurrection, because we're approaching Easter. And it's very pitiful where people are celebrating Easter without honoring the Christ of Easter. It's not just about you buying Easter eggs and dressing beautifully and flamboyantly on Easter Sunday and going to dance like mad, you know, to very nice music. Anyone can do that. You don't have to be in church for that. People are going to be doing it all over the Easter bank holiday weekend and clubs and everywhere and parties anyway. So what are you doing differently? It's about honoring the Christ of Easter. It's about being a part of the new life that Jesus Christ gives. So when the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17 verse 8 that such a person who trusts in the Lord has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to be a foot, it means God will always enable you to do everything you need to do for the glory of his praise. And he will never depart, you, depart from you. He will never forsake you. He says it. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You have no worries, no matter what's going on in the world. No matter whether you've got food or drink in a year of drought, you have no worries. You trust in God. Your heart is steadfast, trusting in God. The Bible says you will keep at peace he whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. How much trust have you got in God? Or is it rather in your pastors and your mommies and spiritual adopted parents? I don't know what you've done that for. 
Jesus said there's only one Father and he's in heaven. There's God Almighty. There's only one teacher, only one Lord, and that is the Christ. But you find yourself lords that you bow down before and honor and worship. You're an idolater, an enemy of God. This is not my conclusion. That is the word of God. You're an idolater. Jesus paved the way for you to have direct access to God. We have leaders in churches. We have, we have servants who lead us. But the leaders in the way of righteousness, they teach us the word of God. They're there to nurture us. That is what the purpose of every servant of God is. But no, these people, you like them because they promise you miracles and financial breakthroughs and they promise you everything that you want to satisfy your flesh. Everything you want to, 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 to satisfy your appetite for, 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 for material things. They promise you lots of material gain. When the people were chasing after Jesus Christ, after all the feeding, they even went, oh, it says uh, John, John chapter 6 here. From verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So, are you working? Are you pursuing Jesus Christ for material gain, for what you can get out of him? Or are you after him so you can learn from him and believe him and walk with him, devote your life to him? Devoting your life to Jesus Christ means stripping you of yourself. It means stripping you of yourself. People talk about the cross. We are going to talk about the cross because what people, what I hear people say, oh, that's my cross I have to bear. They're talking about their personal problems and personal issues. Disobedient children. Their bad bosses at work. Their um, uncooperative spouse. And they say, that's my cross. That's not your cross. That's not your cross at all. When Jesus said, if anyone must follow me, must, must carry his cross daily and follow me. We'll go into that in the next teaching. But this is nothing to do with your personal or carnal lives. Nothing at all to do with that. It's all about Christ. And it's all about your soul. So consider your standing. Are you on the Lord's side or are you on the side of your pastor or prophet? Or even an army of them? Or the televangelists and, you know, all those people. Whose side are you on? Are you on your own side? Your worship of God is has everything to do with what you want God to do for you, what you want out of God. Or is it about what can you do or be for God following Christ Jesus? It's not an easy walk, but it has to be done. If you will have eternal life, if you will be born again, if you will be a child of God, it has to be done. We'll leave it there today. Let's end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, the word that gives life to the dead, that opens the eyes of the blind to behold your glory, that opens the ears of the deaf to hear your voice calling, that loosens the tongue of the dumb in praise to you for your great salvation and eternal promises. Father, may the words we've shared today, O Lord, be fruitful in all our lives. 
even as we strive to walk with you in obedience because we love you. Amen.